the good life. I was reading an article the other day in uh, Yale University, the most popular class, uh, the class that more students want to take than any other, more the, more, the, the longest waiting line, our uh, waiting list is uh, how to find happiness and purpose. And it's interesting to me that our society, even our most academic uh, cultures and academic institutions, people are still asking that question. And here's the good news. The God of the universe designed us in a manner in which to live, in which we can effectively call the good life. And we're going to look at that in Ecclesiastes and what it means to live the good life, not necessarily what it means to live the rich life or the most prestigious life, but what is the good life is defined by the scriptures that God has given us. So we'll look at that in just a moment in Ecclesiastes chapter 11. But I think it's important for us to have a little background, a little foundation to understand as we go into this text. Uh, there are a couple of things I think uh, we need to understand. And there's a little, uh, a little acrostic I made here uh, called Tom, because I couldn't think of anything else better, but I wanted something you could remember. Usually I try to you know, do the same letter, but I just decided to do Tom today. And the Tom is this, everybody is given certain commodities in life. And it's not a matter if you have them, it's what you do with them. Now, some people have more, some people have less, but everyone is given these three commodities, so to speak. The first one is time. We're all given time. It's a gift that you have been granted. It's not a matter whether you have it or not, it's what you do with it. So we're all given the gift of time. The second one is opportunities. We're all given opportunities in life. You might say, well, I know people that got more. I didn't get a lot of opportunities. That may be true. You know, the parable of the talents doesn't say everybody gets equal opportunities. Everybody gets uh, equal money. It, it doesn't say that because in God's economy, he really doesn't care about your amounts. He cares what you do with what you have. And matter of fact, uh, there seems to be real good scriptural indication and real good scriptural background for uh, the, the more we do with our time, the more opportunities we have. And the more we take advantage of opportunities, the more money sometimes we'll have. It's not always exactly the case, but I can tell you this. If you waste a lot of time, you probably don't have a lot of opportunities. And if you don't have a lot of opportunities, you don't have a lot of money. You don't have a lot of materials, okay? Now, this sermon is not about money. Uh, so I don't want you to get stuck there. I know something who don't talk about money. We're not gonna get stuck there. But I will tell you, your time and your opportunities do affect that. And by the way, I think God wants you to make as much as you can so you can give as much as you can uh, so that you can make an impact as big as you can, okay? So time, opportunities, money. There was a widow, came to the temple. She only had two mites. She, she gave it. God didn't say, don't do that because God has a different economy. He's looking at our hearts and he's thinking eternally, not just in this limited scope of time. So we all have time. One more thing to understand. Um, with our life, there's three things that we can do with it. We can spend it, we can waste it, or we can invest it. Now, I grew up, and most of you know, I grew up in Louisiana, and uh, we had a little rural farm out there. Don't think about farms around here. Um, it was not like this. This was poor man farm. Uh, and so we had some cattle and a few horses, and uh, one of the big things that we raised was corn. And so uh, I, I was fine with corn. I never really loved corn. It's okay. It's just something to put on our plate, you know, put enough butter and salt on it. Yeah, I like it. Uh, but that's true for most things for me. But nevertheless, 
Um, I remember I was probably seven or eight and I was with my cousins one day and we got in the corn crib and we decided just to have a corn fight. So we're outside in the field, we're throwing corn everywhere, we're grabbing corn and we're throwing at each other. And I mean, it's just, it's everywhere. And um, I remember my dad came out and um, he was, and, and he said, well, I'm not gonna tell you what he said, um, but he was not happy. And so after we had a little correction meeting, um, I am trying to explain, he asked me, you know, why were you doing this? I said, well, dad, we, we don't eat all this corn anyway. What are we gonna do with all this corn? He said, what are we gonna do with all this corn? Do you not realize what we do with this corn? I said, well, I know we eat it, <laughs> but I don't even like it that much. <laughs> he goes, well, that's one thing we do with it. One thing we do with it, we eat it. He said, another thing we do, he said, we give some away. We give some to our neighbors, we give some to some of our other family. There's some people, son, that, that don't have enough. And so it's something we can give. He said, and then there's something else we do with it. He said, you see these cows out here in the winter? He said, do you not realize that we're feeding them corn? He said, if I don't feed them that corn, then I have to take it out of my pocket. He goes, and you like to eat hamburgers and you like steak. He said, what if you don't have hamburger and steak? What if I just give you collard greens and, and green beans? What would you like about that? No, I, I like hamburger day. I, I, I like the steaks we have. He goes, what, if we don't feed those cows, he said, where, where are we going, how are we gonna feed them? He said, we have to pay for it and it comes out of my pocket. He said, and one more thing. He said, we're gonna take the rest of this corn and then we're gonna plant it. Because you see all that corn, all that corn in that crib right there, that came because we planted it from the year before. So you see, son, it's not just you eating. You're gonna eat it. You're gonna spend it. But then you can also invest it by giving it, by planting it, and by feeding it. That's an investment. But what you've done here today is you've just wasted it. That's our life. You can spend your life, and you have to spend it. You have to spend it paying bills. You have to spend it working. You have to do chores. You do errands, and that's okay. But what do you do with the other part of your life? The part that's left over, do you invest it or do you waste it? A lot of people waste their time, therefore they waste their life. A lot of times people waste their opportunity, you're wasting your life. Sometimes people waste money, you're wasting part of your life and part of the life that God intended for you to use to make an impact and to bring him glory, which is the purpose for which you were created. So with that understanding, I want us to look at our text. And this is written by Solomon. Solomon regarded as the wisest man to ever live. We know Solomon became king somewhere around the age of 30. And in his early years, he writes the book of Song of Solomon, and we see his passion and his exuberance. And then in his middle years, he probably writes the book of Proverbs. And there are many Proverbs he collected, many of those uh, he, he, he spoke, many of those he developed. But then we come to Ecclesiastes, and this is in his last years. This is in the years that he realizes that he made some mistakes. Even though he was very smart and he was very wise, he made some decisions that did not honor God. And if you look over those first 10 chapters, you see he talks about the vanity, how you can do all these things and how it doesn't really bring fulfillment, how it doesn't really bring hope, it doesn't bring meaning. But then we get to chapter 11 and he says, look, here's how you wanna live. Solomon hasn't always lived this way, but now looking back, and in his last years of life, he goes, this is the life God intended for us to live. Let me share that with you in, from God's word today, beginning with the first verse, Ecclesiastes chapter 11. 
and we see six principles, biblical principles of the good life, the life that God intended for us to live. He starts off by saying, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. Solomon says, cast your bread upon the waters, for you'll find it after many days. Now, what does that mean? Well, that was a maritime expression during that time. And what he was talking about was, you know, there would be times when they would load up the ship with grain and they would send it off to another land, to another area, to another country to trade in exchange for things, commodities they didn't have, whether it be spices, whether it be other foods, whether it be precious metals, whatever it was. And the concept was here, you take and when you, you keep what you need and invest the rest for something that is more valuable, for something that will bring greater joy and greater, uh, greater fulfillment. So send it on. So there's a risk though, particularly in his time, when you sent that ship off full of grain, it might not come back. It might have a wreck. It might be taken by thieves. But Solomon said, take that risk. That's a good risk. Don't be careless. Don't be thoughtless. Don't be reckless. But yes, in life, we should invest. That's the first principle. Invest. Not just invest financially, although that's important. That's a good idea. But investing our time and our opportunities in life. How are you investing your time today, the gift, the commodity that God has given you that is in limited supply? How are you investing it for his kingdom? Who are you investing in? Who are you spending time with? Who are you encouraging? Who are you ministering to? Who are you helping? Invest. Solomon says, give a portion to seven or eight, not just one. Well, you know, I invest in my children. Well, I'm glad you do and you should. Good for you but is that the only place you invest? Well, you know, I give some money to the church. Great, and you should. That's the way we're able to support ministries like this and in Kentucky. I'm thankful, and you should do that, but is that the only place that you ever assist? That you just do it and just forget about it and move on? Give a portion to seven or eight. As God gives you opportunities, have you had the ability because you don't know what disaster may happen on earth. In other words, one day you're not going to be able to. One day you might not have the means. While you still can, make the most of your time, of your opportunities, of your resources. Invest. Number two, prepare. Plan. Prepare. Solomon says, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. You want to invest for today and invest for the future If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on earth. Now, we're praying that that happens for us here soon. Um, And certainly that's what's happened in Kentucky right now. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, and the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. What is Solomon talking about here? About the clouds, they're going to be full, and who's worried about the wind? He said, again, in an agrarian society... If a farmer waits to when he knows there's going to be plenty of rain, if a farmer waits and goes, I'm I'm not going to plant until I'm sure there's no wind, until I'm sure there's no risk, then he will never see the harvest. There's always a risk in planting seed. uh, Matter of fact, that term right there, 
uh, zir, the term sowing right there, it has the picture uh, of both seed and uh, for eating and for sowing. It's the picture of both. Both are transpiring there. And he says, prepare, prepare for the future, prepare for tomorrow, plan, plan on how you give, plan how you'll invest, plan how you'll serve. And then he says this, we see that we invest and we are to prepare and we are to trust. Uh, Those other two principles are just generic principles, whether you believe in God or not. But this third one, here's the faith principle. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with a child, so do you not know the work of God who makes everything. Trust in him. Trust. You might think, well, I don't know how things are gonna work out. If I do this, then this will happen. What if this happens? Hey, if it's righteous, if you've done everything that you can and you're trying to serve and God has put this upon your heart, then do everything you can and then trust the rest of God. That's what Oswald Chambers says is faith. Faith is doing everything you honestly and ethically can and then trusting God, which leads us to our next principle, which is work. So, so in the morning, so in the evening. In other words, work, invest, prepare, trust, but work. Don't get in this mentality that God's just gonna give me something because I'm here, because I exist. God, you owe me. God doesn't owe you anything. You owe him everything. He owes you nothing. That's like going to the owner of your building or the owner of your work and, and tell him, uh, man, you, you owe me a vacation. You owe me your house. You owe no, you have to work for it. And that's a biblical principle. We live in a world that wants to get out of this principle. But let me tell you, God values work. God values us trusting and working. And so we continue here in the scripture. We see the principles that are important. We see the investment. We see the principle of preparing. We see the principle of trust. We see the principle of working, sowing the seed. And in the evening, withhold not your hand. And you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet and it's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. The next principle we see here is rejoicing. Having the right perspective. Yes, there are going to be hard times in life. Yes, the rain's going to fall. Yes, we're going to suffer losses in our church. We have had five uh, people that we've lost uh, this month in the last few weeks and not expected. Uh, Those things happen. And, And it's incredibly hard and incredibly difficult But that's why God said, hey, rejoice in the good times. And then we rejoice with a perspective even in our suffering. That word rejoice, uh, the word is samak. Samak, what does that mean? And let me tell you what samak is. Samak is what our our men were doing a while ago. it's not just being, oh, happy, let's get a cake. Uh, That's a nice card. Uh, That's not what it is. It's an, it's an outward expression of the joy that's in your heart. That's what David, when they sing that song, I will dance like David danced, samach. That's the word that's literally used in the Hebrew there. Samach. David danced. That's a great picture. Uh, can I give you, I just mentioned, you know, we've had several dear saints. They mentioned Chris. We've had several uh, that have passed away. There's one we'll have the service this Saturday, Amy Koch. Uh, have you ever heard somebody in our service whistling? 
clapping, yelling. You know who that, that was Amy. You know what that was? That was Samat. When I think of Amy, I think of Samat. I think of worship, worship with all my heart, soul, and mind with no fear of what anybody thinks because it's an outward expression of what's going on in my heart. We were created to worship. I love that visible expression because it is what God is. It's rejoicing. Are you rejoicing today? Are you celebrating the goodness? Here's the thing I love about Amy. So before Amy had cancer, you know what she did? She invested in people's lives. Before she had cancer, she was preparing. She adopted four children and raised them, done a terrific job. She and Monty, matter of fact, Monty's here today with one of his daughters. They're in the service right now. She trusted God. She worked hard as a teacher, worked with special ed students, uh, special education needs students. She rejoiced. She was always rejoicing in this service and she remembered God. She always lived out these principles. Guess what she did after she had cancer? She invested in people's lives. She continued to prepare. She continued to trust. She continued to work. And she continued to smock, to rejoice, even in debilitating cancer. You talk about a testimony. You talk about the good life. There's the good life, my friend. That's the life we want to live right there. So if a person lives many years, let him smock in them all. But let him remember the days of darkness will be many. There will be hard times. All that comes in vanity, but rejoice. Smock, oh young man in your youth. Why does he say young man in your youth? Why does he say why you're young? Because let me tell you, there's going to be a day that you can't raise your hands. There's going to be a day that you can't shout. There's going to be a day that you can't stand. And you're going to go, golly, I wish I could. Hey, make the most of it. It's the purpose for which you were created, to bring glory to God, to bring worship to him. And then Solomon says, Halak, walk in the righteous ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment, into accountability. And he says, we saw the word remember there. And then you see in chapter 12, verse one, the very last chapter, he starts it off. Remember the creator and the days of your life. Remember, uh, we've talked about this before. Um, many Jews, Jewish theologians say this is the most important word in the Hebrew Bible. Zakar is the Hebrew word, remember. But it's not just a recollection of facts. It's not just a memory. So let me explain it to you in our vernacular today. So uh, Colonel Lewis and I are both married. And so we both have anniversaries. So let's just suppose on the next anniversary, um, on that anniversary, Colonel Lewis for his wife, uh, that morning, he has a dozen roses for her. He writes a nice note that she sees later on the day, telling her how much he loves and appreciates her. And then when he comes home at night, he takes her to dinner. They have a nice dinner. He tells her how, how, how much he loves her, how much he appreciates her. And he finds himself in a penthouse. All right? So that's one way to remember. He has actively remembered. He not just mentally remembered. He remembered with his life. He remembered with his words. He remembered with his deeds. He fulfilled the commitment to love his wife as Christ loved the church, okay? But let's take me on the other hand. I have an anniversary and I see it, I see it on the calendar. It comes up on my phone, anniversary mark. Okay, and I remember, I get up that morning and I leave, I go to work and I remember, hey, this is my anniversary. Maybe I even tell somebody, this is my anniversary today. 
The day goes through. I don't call my wife. I don't contact her. I come home and, you know, things are going on. Uh, new job's a hassle. Kids got the flu, whatever it is going on. And you're trying to take care of the kids. And, you know, and you end up trying to wrangle up some kind of meal and put that together. And then I'm thinking, you know, later on, I'm going to tell her happy anniversary. But, you know, it just doesn't seem like time. And I'm thinking, but I'm thinking about it. And then there comes a point in the evening. She goes, I can't believe you forgot. What? No, I didn't forget. Yes, you did. You forgot. I, no, no, I didn't. I got a reminder on my phone right here. I've been thinking about it all day. I thought about it this morning, thought about it today. And I was going to tell you, it just did, you know, just things were going on. I was going to tell you before we went to sleep. Happy anniversary. Guess where I end up? The doghouse. <laughs> Why? Because it was just a mental thought. There was no action. There was no life. There was no uh, joy. There was no rejoicing. There was no encouragement. There was no affirmation. I was just thinking. Can I tell you this? When God remembered, he's not just thinking. He's moving on our behalf. When Noah had the flood, the Bible says, and God remembered and the rains rescinded. When the children of Israel were praying and crying out to God in slavery, the Bible says, and God remembered his covenant. The Bible tells us that when Hannah couldn't have a child and she was crying, God remembered Hannah and he remembered Rachel and he remembered over and over. We see God remembering. What does that mean? That he sees them and he takes action. That's what it means to remember. Remember your creator. So how do we live the good life? Here are the principles. Invest. Invest your time. Invest your opportunities in people and in the kingdom of God. Prepare, prepare by saving, prepare by studying, prepare by praying. Study to show yourselves as a, work, as a workman that need not be ashamed, that rightly divides the word of truth. Trust God. Do what you can and do what's right and then trust him with the rest. Work. Don't be afraid of it. Yes, it's hard. It's usually not fun, but yet it's what God has given us. It's molding our character. It's conforming us into his image. And rejoice, not just when times are good, not just when times are hard, but rejoice as we, as we see life, as we experience life, whether it be a meal, whether it be a relationship, whether it be an opportunity, rejoice. Make every opportunity to give thanks and rejoice and remember Remember God who created you. Remember what Christ has done for you. Remember what you were called to do. Sometimes people will say, well, uh, I just don't have as much opportunity. I just don't have that stuff. I just don't have this. I don't have that. And I, I love the story of Eric Thomas, uh, who's a motivational speaker and uh, he preaches as well. He tells a story when he was uh, 15, 16 years old. He didn't have a dad. His mom was really poor. She couldn't really handle him anymore. And he just kind of left and he started living on the streets of Detroit. And he lived in uh, Detroit and he said, man, I was literally eating out of a trash can. And uh, I got to the point where I was starting to mess around with substances and uh, somebody pointed me. They said, look, you need to go talk to this pastor down the road, this church. And so I went over there and he talked to me and he said, hey, look, if you want to turn things around, I'm going to help you. And so he said, all right. And so he started meeting with me. He said, first thing we're doing, we're going to work on, we're going to get your GED. GED? No, I, I dropped out of school. I can't do school. I don't do school. That's why I'm not in school. He says, no, you can do school. He said, I'm, I'm going to get you a tutor. 
and you're going to study and you're going to, you're going to get GED and where you can get a, get a decent job. So I reluctantly did it and he began to do it and went through the process. He finally, I passed my GED. I thought, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm good. And he said, all right, here's now, now here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to college. Go to college? I didn't even graduate from high school. How am I going to go to college? He said, just one step at a time. We're going to go to college. So he enrolled in college. He said, it took me like nine years and I wanted to quit every semester. I can't do this. This is too hard. This is too much. I didn't have a daddy. I didn't have an opportunity. I didn't have a good education. And he said, and I, my pastor would say, I, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> you got an opportunity now. What you going to do with it? You got time now. What you going to do with it? So I went to college. It took me nine years. I finally finished. I think, finally, I'm done. And Eric Thomas said, and he said, all right, now you're going to get your master's. A master's degree? Are you kidding me? So I had to find myself going to school again. Finally get my master's. And he said, now you're going to go for your PhD. PhD? And he got it. He said, Eric Thomas said, you know, when I was younger, I used to think, I used to always have the excuse. I don't have a daddy. I don't have a mama that's really looking after me. I don't have brothers and sisters. I don't have nobody. And I was mad at everybody. And I felt like God didn't care. Nobody cared. That was my whole mentality. He said, but you know what? I look back and I am so thankful now. He said, because, I, you know, I love this uh, confidence. He goes, I think I can speak to more people in the world than anybody else. He said, you know why? He said, a lot of these people, they, they were raised, they had a good life, they had an easy life, they had parents, they had education. He said, he said how are they going to speak to people who are homeless? How are they going to speak to people who dropped out of high school? He goes, I didn't talk to people who are homeless because I was homeless. I didn't talk to people who... Uh, who didn't finish high school. I talked to people who only had their GED. I talked to people who went to college for nine years or maybe they're still going. And I can talk to people who have PhD. He said, what I thought was my greatest obstacle has become my greatest opportunity. There's nowhere I can't go and speak and share my story because God has given me the testimony. Remember, Shema, rejoice. That's the way maker that we serve. That's the God that we serve who has the power to redeem all things. So I mentioned to you those words. The word I have for Amy is Samach. David, one of, our, one of the guys that passed away, I, I thought about him as a teacher and the way that he walked with God. And, uh, we've got other folks who serve and there's always a word that comes to mind when I hear these names. Let me ask you this. One day when it's you, what is your word? If this was your last day, what would the word be for you? I hope the word's not football. I hope the word's not movies. I hope the word's not entertainment. I hope the word's not food. And I, by the way, I have to do services like that all the time for people. And I say, tell me something. Tell me the word that describes, well, you love to eat. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that. <laughs> What's your word? Who are you? How are you investing? How are you preparing? How are you trusting? How are you working? Are you rejoicing? Are you accountable? Are you remembering God in your days? What word will you be known for today? Father, thank you that while we were still sinners, you sent Christ to die for us. Thank you for the beautiful opportunities that you've given us. And Lord, I pray if there's one that doesn't know you today that you would draw them in. Lord, I 
thank you uh, for these biblical principles that you've given us how to live, how to make the most of life, how to live as you intended us to live the good life. And so, Lord, I thank you for the men that we've heard testimony from, the men who are rejoicing. And, Lord, if there are those today, those today in this audience, Lord, or online that have heard this message, Lord, that don't know you, I pray today that you would draw them to know you as Lord and Savior and start the process of redeeming lives. Lord, I pray that uh, for those who are believers, Father, who have become lax and slow, I pray, Lord, that today would be the day that you awaken them to begin investing, to begin trusting, to begin preparing, to to begin to work and to make the most of the opportunities that you've given them and make the most of their time and resources. Thank you for that opportunity. I pray, Lord, that you would move us to accept it, to use it, and to glorify you with it. In your name I pray, amen.